It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Talk radio across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio, the world headquarters of Common Sense. It's a beautiful day out there, absolutely stunning. It came in about 8 degrees this morning, uh, nicely chilled, just the way I like it. The sun is shining uh, on the whole of London, I'd like to say. Yesterday was a little bit on the glum side, but today uh, I'm feeling good because there's a lot to talk about, a lot to discuss and much to be deciding upon because guess what? As the world turns, here's what it feels like to me. It feels like we keep passing the same point. You know when you're on a roundabout? I don't mean the kind that you drive around, I mean the kind that you get on in a fairground. You just keep going round and round, and every now and again there's Boris Johnson again standing at a lectern telling you that, oh well, you know, you just need one more booster, that's all that's going to have to be required for you to be able to get through the winter, to make sure we don't have to stop for Christmas, to make sure we don't have to make it impossible for you to have a New Year's Eve party. Round and round and round we go, uh, where we stop, and nobody knows, but I tell you what, uh, it's starting to really um, grind my gears, for want of a better word. I was thinking of something else to say there but here's the thing right yesterday the prime minister hinted at a practical vaccine mandate for all those who have been double jabbed you will now have to be triple jabbed that's what he reckons right Uh, but it might not happen until the spring meanwhile patients are dying in ambulances because of delayed hospital handovers as many as 12,000 people are suffering or dying as a result the nhs is still not fit for purpose but all the government cares about is the bleeding booster jab Now, call me old-fashioned, but I know an awful lot of people who have spoken to me personally who are not comfortable about getting it. Not for any particular reason, but because they say they're fed up with being dictated at. They're fed up with being told to do one thing so that something else doesn't happen. Because that seems to be the continual cry of the Prime Minister and the sage maniacs and all of those medical advisors who keep changing their tune every five minutes. We'll be asking Dr. Renee Hunderkamp what is going on. Laura Dodsworth joins us as well with her take on why the rest of Europe seems to have lurched headlong into full dictator mode and gone completely doolally. Austria, France, Italy, Holland, many other countries seeming to want to become more like Australia and New Zealand instead of less like Australia and New Zealand. What's going on where you are? We need to hear from you. You tell us what's going on and we tell everybody else 0344 499 1000 former Brexit party MEP Ben Habib is here too with his take on the latest news from Liverpool the suicide bomber was a convert to Christianity but he only really did that 
because he wanted to throw everybody off the scent. He was a failed asylum seeker from Iraq, a man who had previously been sectioned for brandishing a large knife on the streets of the city. What on earth was he still doing, living here? And how did he get here? Because I think that's quite an important question that nobody seems to be asking. Because if he came on one of those dinghies that arrived on the south coast and he was allowed to enter this country illegally, then failed uh, with his asylum claim, then still be here uh, in order to try and cause mayhem and mass death, I think there's a massive problem in this country, and you know what it is. 0344 499 1000. Kevin O'Sullivan will be checking in as well. He's got plenty to say about the latest idiotic idea from the NHS. Uh, to wit, getting diet coaches for children as young as two to prevent obesity. That's right. And founding community clinics to teach them how to eat. I mean, for heaven's sake, what are parents for? If parents can't teach their children how to eat properly, they shouldn't really be parents, should they? And we'll be travelling over to California to get the latest from the US of A, where Adele is the latest celebrity to pour her heart out to Oprah Winfrey. 0344 499 1000. You listen to me, Mike Graham, right here on the fastest growing radio station on the planet. It is, of course, Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Now, I have to say, and you know me well enough if you watch this show, listen to this show, because we are on television, of course, now as well uh, as being uh, on the radio. Uh, We're all over the place. YouTube, Rakuten, Roku, Samsung TV Plus, right? I get from time to time pretty wound up by some of this government policy that we are forced to swallow, that we are fed. uh, And as Julie Hartley Brewer just said, we are offered, right? We're offering you a booster jab. If you don't get it, you might not be able to go anywhere. You might not be able to check in anywhere. You might not be able to get on a plane. You might not be able to get on a train. You might not be able to go to a nightclub. You might not be able to go to the cinema. You might not be able to have anybody around to your house either. I'm sick of it. Let's talk to Dr. Renee Houdenkamp, uh, who is, of course, NHS GP medical writer as well. Renee, very good morning to you. Good morning, Mike. How are I, you? I'm, well, I'm a bit annoyed, actually, as you can probably tell, because I'm fed up with this. Cobblers, it just goes on and on and on and on and on. And I know so many people who have done what they were asked to do Um, but who have now just said, look, enough is enough. I'm not doing the booster jab. I'm not interested. I don't believe you. I don't believe a word you say. Yeah. So, I mean, it's just this constant mission creep, isn't it? Yeah. You know, we were told way back when that it was 15 million jabs to save our lives and get us back to normal. And then it just moved down and down and down and down. And now it just adds to that. And my problem with all of it is the coercion, actually. Mm. It's the constant coercion. It's very clear to us as doctors that no medical treatment should ever be given if somebody feels coerced to consent to it. And I can't see anything else that's happening here other than coercion. You know, have your booster jab or you won't be able to travel. To a 17-year-old, have your booster jab or you're going to miss out on the fun. You know, and here's a McDonald's thrown in to help you make the decision. And I'm really concerned about the coercion because what we should be doing as healthcare practitioners is giving people the information and letting them make the decision over whether they want to take this medication or whether they're happy to take the risk. I mean, you work within the medical fraternity, and I'm going to talk to Laura Dodsworth a bit about this later on. But what is it about doctors who want to keep kind of going against what you would otherwise have thought was the Hippocratic Oath, which is do no harm? You know, and I'm not suggesting for a minute that, that taking the booster will do harm, but it will harm some people and it will hurt some people and some people will have a bad reaction to it. We know that because that's what's actually happened. But, you know, they're now talking about giving uh, second doses to 16 to 18 year olds. You were tweeting about that the other day. I saw a community um, news letter from NHS Sussex at the weekend, which was saying to kids, effectively, if you want to come and get a vaccine, we won't necessarily have to tell your parents. 
Mm. I mean, to me, that's horrifying Mike, yeah. because, you know, when has the state ever stepped into parenting? Because that's exactly what it's doing. Right. You know, I am a parent of a big boy and a small little one. And what happens in their lives is down to me. And, you know, I'm the one who makes decisions for them. Well, not the big one now. I'd like to, but he won't let me. <laughs> but the little one for sure. And, you know, the state getting involved is awful. And I really don't care about the people that will scream at me on Twitter about Gillick competency. We've used that for years. No, we haven't. You know, we do use Gillick con competency in exceptional circumstances mm. when a child is at risk if we don't treat them. And in my time as a doctor, I have treated one child under Gillick competency competency because she would have come to harm if I didn't. Now that's not the case with these vaccines. We know that children very rarely come to harm if they have um, COVID. So actually giving them the vaccine is not preventing them from coming to major harm. And I just think this coercion is really sinister. And it really is sinister. I've seen so many children who are having the vaccine because their friends are having it. They feel the peer pressure and they believe the adverts that are on the radio and the TV and in leaflets all day long have this or you're going to miss out. That is appalling absolutely appalling and it really is in the background and in the backdrop which we keep being told is going to be fixed it's going to be caught up we're going to be paying more taxes to catch up with uh, all of the missing operations that have been done thousands of heart patients we're told today could die needlessly after being forced to wait up to two years for life-saving scans Sixty-five thousand people delayed at least six weeks because covid is still crippling the nhs and there's no reason for it to be doing that is there so I'm really concerned about all of this narrative because I think what they're doing is muddying the waters. We have a major problem in the NHS now because of the problem that we've got in the care sector. Mm. And I don't just mean care homes. I mean the carers that go to people's houses when they've been discharged from hospital and make sure they're OK. So we cannot get care packages for people. We cannot get care home places for people now because we forced out thousands of carers by telling them no jab, no job. Mm. And so then what happens is, is that those people who are absolutely ready to be discharged from hospital, they do not need medical care anymore, are sitting there and we can't admit people because of that blocking of beds, which is a terrible term, but it's happening. Why did we not use all of this money, this 37 billion, the Nightingale hospitals, to staff up these places with people who could actually just look after these people that need you know, day-to-day -day help with their daily living mm. but don't need a doctor or a nurse to free up the NHS because then ambulances wouldn't be queuing outside, people wouldn't be waiting five hours for an ambulance, and so it goes on. But what we're doing as a government is we're blaming people for not having their vaccine yeah. and calling it COVID. And without a doubt, COVID has put a major strain on the NHS, but if we'd have sorted out these other problems, we would have been able to cope. Yes, and an awful, an awful lot of the of the COVID strain that was put on the NHS was self-inflicted because the NHS, in its own um, management, decided to do certain things which limited the availability of other areas of the NHS, i.e. they stopped people going to doctor's surgeries. They stopped people being able to see doctors. I've got countless examples, and I'm sure you have as well, of people who have been in touch with me to say, you know, I've now been diagnosed with stage four cancer. They said, oh, if only you could have come and seen us earlier. They went, well, we couldn't because you weren't seeing anyone. And so people are now physically actually in, in, in danger. Many will die as a result of this ludicrous, you know, one track minded policy. 
It is, and it's kind of a group thing, I think, amongst colleagues. They've been, they've been told that the vaccine is the saviour. Therefore, you can't think about anything else but other than COVID and the vaccine being the saver. Dr Lucy Wilk wrote an excellent article yesterday in The Conservative Woman about this yeah. and why doctors are staying silent and why they're accepting all of this when the data doesn't support it. You know, what is going on? And I think there's this absolute group thing which makes you think, well, actually, it can't be. It, it has to be. This has to be the answer. Therefore, I mustn't say anything. I must be wrong. Let's go with this narrative. But we need people to stand up and start questioning this narrative and start thinking about patients who have other diseases. Right. Because every time I try and talk to any doctor who's in the NHS, apart from people like yourself who seem to be a little bit more enlightened, you know, they just kind of stare blankly at the screen and they've got these dead eyes and they talk about how, you know, we must keep people safe and we must stop people from overwhelming the hospitals. And you go, well, a lot of people talk to me about going to hospitals and finding them relatively empty because they are still obsessed with COVID and they're not really admitting people to large portions of the hospital because of social distancing, because they haven't had a COVID test. I heard from Cornwall, somebody let me know the other week, um, that in, in the ambulance cases down there, ambulance drivers turn up, the people sit in the ambulance for hours on end sometimes, they get taken into the very basic part of the A&E, then they get sent back out to the ambulance because they won't admit them. It's absolutely ridiculous. I do think that A&E is under incredible pressure across the country. And there are lots of reasons for that, obviously. Lots of people are there because they can't actually get to see a GP face to face or they're really struggling. I had a problem with my GP. It took me two weeks recently to get forward on, through on the phone. Right. And, you know, so that is happening. And GPs do have to sit up and say, look, guys, there's a problem. Let's come up with some solutions. Then there's the problem at the other end of the hospital with people who don't need to be there. So I think A&Es are under pressure, but you're absolutely right. We closed services across the board, services that didn't need to be closed. For example, you couldn't get your ear syringed in the NHS, but you could pay at Specsavers to do it. You know, so it was safe for Specsavers, but it wasn't safe for the NHS. And I could, I could list you hundreds of things, but we need to get back to normal and we need to find a way to free up capacity in the NHS, both at GP and in hospitals. Right. And what is your sense as a doctor, uh, Renee, in terms of why this booster is so much required? Because, you know, if we had been, for example, told back in, I don't know, the spring of this year, we'll give you two boosters, two, two vaccinations, but they might run out come sort of the autumn, people would have been more prepared. But that wasn't being told to us in those days. That wasn't the case. The two vaccines were going to save us. You know, then it was one vaccine for kids. Now it's two. They're now talking about trying to go all the way down to five, like some countries are doing. I mean, there are other countries that are doing far worse things than we are. And I don't really understand the medical reasoning for any of it. Well, I think your question in itself answers it, because this is my point about boosters. If they feel that antibodies are waning, if that's their measure, I don't know because they're not really telling us, then what's the level, Mike? Tell us what the level is where they think that the vaccine doesn't work anymore. Mm. If there's a level, because they must know there's a level, otherwise why would they be offering us a booster, then let's do an antibody test and let's see who actually really needs this booster and who doesn't. Yeah. And let's talk about T-cells, which we never do. You know, let's let's have some information, but they're not giving any information. They're just coming on TV, telling people to have the booster, telling them they won't be able to go on holiday if they don't have the booster. So more, you know, arm twisting, but without giving any information as to how they have come to that conclusion. 
I am very, very dubious about the booster. I know that Dame Sarah Gilbert, who was one of the inventors of AstraZeneca, has said that we don't need to give boosters. We should send these vaccines to other countries where they need their first injection rather than a booster. Yeah. And and yet here we go. I have respect for the JCVI, so I suspect that they are seeing information that has made them come to this conclusion. But can we have it, please? You know, we're grown-ups. Let us have the information. Let us have some antibody testing. I know what my antibodies are. They are sky high. I do not need a booster. You know, but let's arm people with that information and let's have a grown-up conversation for once. Yeah, absolutely right. I mean, I was talking to a doctor the other day who was saying that, you know, the Pfizer booster, for example, is very good at dealing with COVID, but actually is not that great at affecting the rest of your immunity. And it might actually weaken the rest of your immunity to other things. Now, I don't I haven't heard that discussed by the government. I also have never heard the government discussing how many people in this country have actually, as you say, got antibodies or have had the disease because we keep being told there's all these positive cases all over the place. Well, why doesn't that make a difference? Why can we not say, well, if 90% of the um, population is vaccinated in terms of adults, then there's only 10% who haven't been. They might have already had it. Well, I had a look at the latest um, variant report that was out this week. I think yeah. it came out Friday or yesterday. It's 77 pages. Every time they issue one of these, these reports, they change the way that they present the data. Mm. So they make it really hard to compare period on period. Right. But there, there is a paragraph in there. Um, that says that 98% of the UK population has antibodies and that 18% of those are from natural infection. So, you know, can we talk about that then, please? Because if 98% of us have antibodies, why do we need a booster? Mm. Why do we need to keep coercing young people to have it when their risk from it is absolutely minuscule? You know, or is there a problem with the antibodies that are being generated by the vaccine that they're actually not doing the job that they need to do? I don't know. And when you don't let people have information, then they start hypothesizing for themselves right. and then they go down rabbit holes that they don't need to go down. We need transparency now. We need to treat people like grown-ups. Yes, and we have to stop this ridiculous narrative that Boris Johnson sort of dug out of the grave yesterday about this wave of, of infection coming from Europe. Well, why is there a wave of infection coming from Europe? Is it because they locked down too long? Is it because they opened up too late? Is it because there is no way to stop these infections and you just have to get on with it? You know, there's any number of questions that nobody seems to want to answer. No, I, I absolutely agree. And I think the answer is actually a combination of those things. They're having a wave in Europe because they have Delta. We've had Delta. We've had Delta. It's our dominant strain. It's been it around for months. Through. It's been around for months. I cannot see any logical reason from a scientific point of view why that wave in Europe should even make us look their way. I think it's sad, obviously, that people are still dying. But in the main... We have got to the point now where this is like a winter flu yeah. and there doesn't seem to be flu around. So let's treat it that way and let's stop terrifying people. We've done so much damage, Mike, by terrifying people. I've seen it this week. I've been in meetings this week with fellow colleague, colleagues who are terrified. They're on their booster. They're wearing their masks. They're sitting in the corner. They're terrified. Mm. And we need to stop this. We need to get back to reality and to life. No, I mean, I go on the tube here in London and you see probably around about, I would say, a 50-50 representation of some people with masks, some people without. You know, if it was so dangerous, surely that would be a massive super spreader event every single day, every single hour, every single time you get on a train. There would be loads of cases. There would be hundreds of thousands of people getting infected. Many of them would die. But that ain't happening. 
we also would see that coming from COP, wouldn't we? Yeah. Well, they've had an earthquake up there. I don't know if that's anything to do with them. <laughs> you know, we'll be talking about that a bit later on. But yeah, this is the thing, the hypocrisy of it all. And when you look around Austria and you look around what they're doing in Germany, what they're doing in Australia, New Zealand, you know, there's no pattern which really makes any difference, it seems to me. I mean, people always say, oh, well, the thing is they kept deaths to a minimum in Australia and New Zealand. Well, nobody goes there. You know, we had 10 million people flying into to, to Heathrow last year uh, when we were supposed to be locking everything down. There were plenty of people coming in, and it's not about, um, you know, how many people have died. We've got a much higher number of deaths than most other governments in other countries because of the way we measure them. Yes. And I mean, and also, we if you actually have a look at things like the World Obesity Report, COVID appears to be a map of obesity around the world yeah. because with obesity goes all of the comorbidities, which means your outcomes for COVID will be much worse. It's not the only thing. Of course it isn't. But it is a massive contributor. And we are seeing that across Western countries that have high level of, of levels of obesity. But we're not allowed to talk about that. And, you know, I will get flack for that after this interview yeah. for sure. But we need to be able to talk about that. We need to be able to, again, be honest i spoke to my sister in australia this morning mike she is trapped in australia and she actually lives there and um they've just mandated vaccinations for everybody who works in education and yet mps in australia are exempt right. from having the vaccine yes, if i was a teacher that would say to me well hang on a minute i'm being told i have to have this vaccine because it's so so serious but the MPs don't want to have it? Right. What are they not telling me? Well, the same as Austria, where they're saying to people, well, you can't go out of the house unless it's for work or to buy um, groceries or to get medical care or to get yourself vaccinated, right? So they're not trying to stop you going out. They're just trying to punish you for not being vaccinated because you can go out, and if you're actually in danger of spreading something, surely you shouldn't be able to go out at all. Well, you'd think so, wouldn't you? I mean, the, the hypocrisy here is really weird. The messaging is really weird. And the longer it goes on and the, the longer they continue it, the more and more people are going to sit back and go, no, enough, I've mm. had enough. And that's actually what should happen, frankly. Yes, I think so. And I mean, do you think, or I mean, it's impossible to know what this government's going to do next. My sense is that Boris Johnson doesn't want to do anything more draconian than we currently have. When I'm out and about in London and other parts of, of, of the country, it looks as though things are relatively back to normal. I still see more people wearing masks than I would like to, but that's their affair. If they want to look stupid, it's up to them. But, you know, I can't see that the country will buy any kind of lockdown from Boris. I'd like to think that. I really would, Mike. I really would like to think it. But I think a lot of people will buy it, but then they just won't follow it because that's the other hypocrisy we have going on here. We have people who are gung-ho for restricting people's lives, but then they can bend the rules a little bit for themselves. And I, I would like to think that people are now going to say no. I think he has zero chance of cancelling people's Christmases. Yeah. I really do. Yeah, well, he's certainly got zero chance of cancelling mine because I'm supposed to be going to America. And if something bad happens and I can't go there, uh, there will be hell to pay. Because, I mean, that's the other thing. They're all at it, right? I mean, I think last Christmas, did he not have, you know, somebody over to, to supposedly look after one of his children? Uh, and so they broke the rules effectively, even though Downing Street said they didn't. You know, we've got Matt Hancock with his hands all over his uh, glamorous assistant. You know, I mean, it just goes on and on and on. And, and they can do whatever they want. And they expect us to do what we're told. Well, I'm sorry. That's the end of that story. Well, it is, but I've looked from the very start of this, it really has riled me that anyone can tell me when I can see my mother, who I can have in my house, who I can, you know, go to dinner with. You know, I this is my life. Yeah. It's nobody else's. That doesn't make me selfish. 
you know, if I thought I had something that I was going to transmit to somebody, if I was unwell, if I had flu or if I had COVID, which I've had, as you know, um, I wouldn't go out. Right. Of course I wouldn't. I wouldn't go and see patients. When I had COVID, it was the only time, Mike, that I worked from home as a GP. Yeah. And I worked from my sofa feeling pretty rubbish. Mm. Yes, but and that's fine because you're a responsible individual, as most of us are. But get, get this, I'll, I'll end on this particular piece of madness, which we discovered this week. My um, local school says if your child has got a cold, they must attend school. <laughs> right? So it's all right for them to come into school and spread a cold, but if they've got uh, any chance of running into somebody who might have tested positive for COVID, even though there's nothing wrong with them, they've got to stay home. Well, this is the problem with targets for mm. school attendance, isn't it? Absolutely incredible. Ridiculous. Anyway, great to talk to you. Thank you very much indeed. Common sense abounds here on the Independent Republic this morning. Dr. Renee Hunderkamp, uh, NHS GP, medical writer, of course, as well. Somebody who knows a great deal about why this government is behaving in the way that it is. And it's not about the science. They stopped saying follow the science. They might as well stop saying it because there isn't any bleeding point, is there? The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Now, uh, the front pages of the papers this morning, all still very much to do with the bomber up in Liverpool. Bomber was refugee who converted to Christianity, says The Times. The Sun uh, says bombers rage over asylum. It turns out he was a failed asylum seeker. Uh, terror threat raised after Liverpool's suicide attack. Even The Guardian is having to carry that story. Bomber who targeted new mums and babies, uh, says The Daily Mirror. A shocking story. Um, thank goodness it never turned out to be as bad as it could have done because of the fact that uh, he was relatively inept, this bloke, and he couldn't make a proper uh, IED. And so the detonator only detonated the detonator. It didn't actually detonate the explosives. Otherwise, it could have been a very different story. Let's talk to Ben Habib, businessman, former MEP and chairman of Brexit Watch. Ben, uh, a very lucky escape, this, for the, for the people of Liverpool. And, and who knows what could have happened if things had turned out differently? A very lucky escape. But, you know... It's a problem I think we're going to have to be grappling with into the future on a, not a daily basis, but on a very frequent basis. You know, we've got a country now which is effectively being invaded every single day by people who do not have permission to be in our country. Mm. People who come from different ideological, cultural backgrounds, many of whom hold our value system in contempt. And they, they're coming across the channel. They're coming from all other means. They're not being repelled. Our border force is not doing its job, and we are going to have these problems repeatedly going forward unless we get a grip of our immigration policy and indeed our domestic policy once these people get here. Yeah, I mean, Pretty Patel this morning still talking um, hard and tough, but really not doing much at all, saying we must get to grips with it, we must work together, we must do all of those things that she keeps saying we must do, and yet we still don't manage to do them. Meanwhile, well, we get the uh, terrorism status raised to severe, but there'll still be about, I mean, it's a beautiful day here today. I imagine it'll be close on between 500 and 1,000 more of these people coming uh, onto our shores today. Well, let's just look at the contrast between the British response and the Polish response to illegal immigration. You know, Priti Patel keeps saying that she's going to take this action, but she's done absolutely nothing. In fact, Border Force visibly assist these people to make the channel crossing and come onto our shores, as does the... Well, well, it's worse. It's worse than that, Ben. The Border Force Union are now saying they want to actually get a judicial review as to whether they should be even returning them or attempting to return these people to from whence they came. Well, they uh, they haven't got the courage to do it. But then you look at the Polish response to what Belarus is doing, and they've put their army on the border, and they're not going to have any truck 
with illegal immigration. Mm. And that's exactly the kind of response we should be having. Yeah. But let, I just want to say one thing, which is really important, I think, for viewers to, to um, put into context. Over the last 20 years, we have seen the British population rise from about 55 million to 68 million. That is a 24% increase in our population. None of that is indigenous growth. All of that is immigration. Mm. Tony Blair threw open the floodgates of immigration and we have taken in a net 300,000 plus a year for the last 20 years. And the Tories are equally at fault. It's not just Labour. The Tories have continued with their inability to close down our borders. And whilst they've thrown open the doors to immigration, we've simultaneously prosecuted a foreign policy which has bombed the hell out of North Africa, bombed the hell out of the Middle East, and now we've exited Afghanistan in the way that we have. So we've created a refugee crisis in the Middle North Af Middle East, North Africa, and Near East. Yeah. And we, at the same time, we've thrown open our doors to immigration. So we've created the perfect situation for these hostile elements to make their way into the United Kingdom. And they've made their way. Yeah, and, and now we have a and it's the perfect and it's the perfect cover, isn't it? Because all you've got to do is get on one of these dinghies. Now all the people around you uh, might be coming here to work in a sweatshop in Leicester, for all we know, or they might be willing to work for Albanian drug gangs, but they might not be actually terrorists. But how about this from Douglas Carswell overnight? He sent this. Sounds like the latest terrorist suspect in the UK came to the UK from Iraq. The Parsons Green bomber came from Iraq. The Manchester terrorist came from Libya. The Derby terrorist came from the Sudan. Can we at least have have an honest conversation about the threat of terror, which we're not supposed to have. You and I are not supposed to be no. saying these things, Ben, because no, apparently we might be racists. I know. Well, I can't be racist because I'm brown. Yeah, but, that's um, another one of the other great paradoxes <laughs> of life, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but I mean, we've got to call a spade a spade. If that's not the wrong, again, that's perhaps that's a bit of a dangerous, dangerous. Um, uh, yeah, idiot I know. Views, it's mad, but, isn't it? No, it is mad. I mean, the fact is that we have an unbridled immigration. We haven't controlled our borders at a time that we have ourselves sort of rendered fiasco through the Middle East, Near East uh, 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 and North Africa. We have created the problem. We've created the ideal scenario for these people to come to this country. Tony Blair has a hell of a lot to answer for. Um, you know, he's the one who took us into Iraq patently an illegal war, patently was going to result in animosity towards the West. Mm. And now, with freedom of movement across Europe, with weak European uh, border force themselves, Greece can't repel these people. You know, they get into Greece. There was meant to be this kind of concentration camp set up by Merkel in Turkey, but that isn't working so mm. well. So you're going to get these people coming to Greece. And the, mid the minute they're in Greece, they can go right across Europe, get on a dinghy, as you say, Mike, in France, and be in the UK within days. Yeah. And well, what was, you know, if people get across from the Belarusian border into Poland, they will be in the UK within days. No question. But isn't it interesting, though, you mentioned this earlier about the EU. The EU referred to the uh, Belarusian uh, incomers, if you like, the people who have come from various points west, points east, rather, uh, from Afghanistan, from North Africa, from the Middle East. The EU declares them to be not genuine refugees, right? Yeah. Now, how is that different to the people who are sitting in Calais boarding dinghies and illegally crossing the channel. How is that different? Absolutely. They're already in a safe haven. They're in France. They should stay in France. And France has a deal with the United Kingdom to police its own borders. We've paid them over £200 million over the last couple of years in order to do just that. Mm. And they haven't done it. 
you know, we've got we've got footage of French police actually ignoring these dinghies being launched. Right. I mean, the whole thing is a joke. And all the while, and just, to, you know, without wishing to bring it back to fishing, all the while, they're coming into our waters, taking our fish, and then complaining about the fact that they haven't got even greater access. Mm. You couldn't have a worse international relationship than the no. one we have with France. They send us their illegal immigrants, and they take our fishing. It's yeah. absolutely appalling. It's like the worst of both worlds, isn't it? And you're right to bring Tony Blair into this, because his intervention in the Middle East, albeit that it was with the, uh, uh, with the cooperation of the Americans, has completely ruined the world, actually. You know, ISIS was created as a result of it. The caliphate, you know, the whole idea of the uh, of the Islamic State being set up somewhere between Syria and Iraq uh, and the, the Kurds being persecuted, you know, people being murdered in Syria. It's been a complete and utter disaster. It's been an utter disaster. The whole area, with the exception of maybe half a dozen states in the Middle East, the whole area and North Africa, has been turned into flames. Mm. That's what's happened. You know, Syria, 22 million people, a perfectly peaceable country, until we decided that the Arab Spring was a good thing, that it would be good to try and export our democracy, our ideology to that country. And now what you have is a country utterly destroyed, mm. utterly destroyed. And I bet those 22 million people would readily sacrifice whatever sense of freedom, which they don't have, by the way, but any sense of freedom that we might impute on them, mm. I bet they'd readily sacrifice that mm. to go back to the situation of pre-2011. Yes. But they can't, you know, we have destroyed that country with our foreign policy. And so it is on us that we've got weak border control. It is on us that there's freedom of movement across Europe. It is on us that we've had 20 years of lousy foreign policy creating these problems. And it is on us that when these people come to this country, we don't police them. We don't train them in our in our history. We don't train them in our cultural habits. And that it is on us that we don't hold them to account mm. for their animosity to us. It is our fault. And it is our gov successive government's fault that we have bombers like the one that just triggered that bomb in Liverpool the other day. We have to get a grip of this problem mm. at every single level. Well, let's face it. I mean, this guy uh, who's got several different names, but is known largely as Imad Jamil Al-Swilmeen. This guy was refused asylum in 2014, right? He was then yeah. uh, sectioned as a result of being uh, um, um, sort of spotted flailing around with a huge knife in the Liverpool city centre. He was sectioned and then released. I mean, it beggars belief that he's still here. Yeah, well, he isn't here, thank God. Well, thank anymore. God he's not here. But I mean, the <laughs> fact that he was still here until the weekend and you're going, well, how can you be de denied asylum in 2014? Seven years later, he's still in Britain. Yeah, yeah. and I don't think he was even on MI6's watch list, was he? I think no. he managed to escape. No, so, I think he was. I mean, the, 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 it is it is a failure of governance in the United Kingdom. Every single level over twenty years that has created this problem. And unless we rapidly get a grip of it, actually, the problem may be too far gone. But we've got to stop it from getting worse. It is it is wretched. It is utterly wretched. It really is absolutely horrendous. Well, listen, Ben, great to hear you in fine form as ever, talking absolute sense. We need to get to grips with it. Who knows if Pretty Patel is the right person to do so, but we'll talk to you again very soon. Ben Habib, businessman, former MEP, chairman of Brexit Watch. I mean, he's right. This entire mix-up um, of mess of the Middle East, of Syria, of Iraq, uh, of parts of northern um, of Kurdistan, places where people are coming in their droves from there to here, some of them have got very good intentions. Some of them haven't. The fact is we don't know which is which because we can't tell who is who.
And it's as simple as that. And for all of those lefties, the people who say, oh, you just hate immigration. That's not correct at all. What I hate is people coming to this country without any kind of recommendation whatsoever, just because they fancy coming. Some of them clearly want to come here for a better life. Some of them clearly want to come here because they want to make more money than where they live. That's fine. But that doesn't mean they can. You can't just walk into another person's house because you like the look of it. I quite fancy a house in Bishop's Avenue, Millionaire's Row, where the Saudi Arabian uh, Emirates like to hang out. But I can't just walk in there and go, I think I'll stay here now. Is that all right with you? You mind? Give me a nice bedroom, you know, hot and cold running water in one of the ensuite bathrooms. That would be just fine. That would be OK, would it? And what if I decide I want to blow it up? Can I still come in? You know, it's madness. We are living literally in a world of madness. And Tony Blair is very largely to blame for an awful lot of it because he blew up the entire Middle East. David Cameron helped out when he decided to go and blow up Libya. The whole nation state in every single part of the Middle East, North Africa, and even as far east as Afghanistan, has been ruined, not just by our foreign policy, because you have to remember there are plenty of bad people in some of those countries who have contributed to its demise. But nevertheless, it's time we stood up and said, enough is enough. No more. No thanks. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Now, it's always nice to see Laura Dodsworth, a ray of sunshine, a ray of common sense. It is nice out there, isn't it? It's beautiful. But I had this really weird disconnect um, on the way in today. I was thinking, gosh, you know, it's a really beautiful, beautiful day. Mm. But there's so much crazy stuff happening in the world. There People is. People still locked in their homes, unable to appreciate the beautiful day. Mm. But yes, here I am ready to uh, help you inject common sense into yes. the ears of the nation. We do Mike. need to. I Let's mean, do it. I mean, we spoke to Dr Renee earlier on about the booster and she's not convinced, like a lot of people that I speak to, um, that you need it. And mm. the government, by just saying simply, please get it, we're offering it to you. I mean, it's not really enough, is it? I mean, you talk a lot about the nudge units and the way that they try to make you do things that you weren't maybe thinking of doing. I mean, are you seeing anything different in the booster, the way they're trying to do it? Um, I stay away from the whole medical aspect of how needed it is or not, because I don't really know. And there's public health experts and doctors like, like Renee here to mm. talk about that. But I think that the end game is looking increasingly unclear. So there's the idea that the vaccine passport is a nudge to make you get vaccinated. Right. You know, if you can't access certain products or services or parts of life or mm. employment without this passport, then you have to get vaccinated. So it's to drive up vaccination. But it's also beginning to look a bit like the vaccination is the nudge for the vaccine passport because yeah. there is this this unhealthy obsession with the state telling us what to put into our bodies. Yeah. I mean, I've had a few quite angry emails from people in the last week. They're not angry with me. They're angry about the boosters. Yes. And because they know that I've taken quite a firm stance on COVID passports being a bad step mm. for for liberty, you know, I don't think we want a segregated society. There's no sound public health reason because I've been quite clear about that. People are now coming to me and saying, well, what, what, what's this about boosters? Right. I've had my two vaccinations. What do you think I need a booster? And I'm like, well, hang on. I, yes. I'm not the expert. And also but you're right to make angry. that difference. And it's right. You're right to make that difference. I mean, you know, you're not here to give medical advice. You're here to try and explain what the government are up to. Mm. Um, and that's even harder in some ways, isn't it? 
It is hard because they haven't been clear mm. and they're still not being clear. So they're saying we'll have to redefine what vaccination means. Well, you know, they could have said that a bit earlier. Yeah. Um, it's not fair to keep dangling carrots in front of people and say you'll be fully vaccinated, cry freedom. Yeah. And then say, well, you know, there's this booster. Actually, it's not a booster. Mm. It's, it's the third it's shot. It's the third shot. Well, how many? How long does it go on for? Right. People need clarity. Yes. How long does this one last, for example? I mean, we had a caller just before the news there who said, if I, he said, I, I don't really want to take a Pfizer jab if I've had two AstraZeneca ones. I want mm. to take a third AstraZeneca one. Otherwise, maybe I'll have to take a second Pfizer one, which would mean I have to take a fourth one at some point in the spring. Yeah, I think what's really clear to people is that they're in completely uncharted territory. Mm. Um, my mum isn't sure about having her booster because right. she felt really ill after her flea vaccine and she's not, she's not very well. Mm. Um, and I don't know how she feels about mixing up the brands. And I've heard this from quite a few right. people. This is, this is an experimental notion. Yeah. They, don't know, they don't know how it's going to work yeah. out. Well, and those questions think, are fair, aren't I mean, people, they? Yeah, people talk about vaccinations and, 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 you know, the most sort of, shall we say, strident of those who think that, that, that people like you and I discussing this are, are wrong to even do so. They're the ones who go, oh, yeah, but you've taken plenty of other vaccinations. Your children have had them before. Yeah, but nothing's been done like this before, as far as I can remember. I've never been told to take a flu vaccine um, or, uh, or I won't be able to travel. I've never been told to take a second one. You know, if you did have, I've, I've never had a flu vaccine, but if I say, I say I'd had one last Christmas and then they came to me again in March and said, you need another one. And then they came to mm. me again in the summer and said, you need a booster. That's effectively what they're doing. Nobody's ever had this experience before. No, well, we've also never been told that you have to have it in order to go to a theatre or to right. a stadium or to a restaurant or to work. And that's, that's what's new. Yeah. And that is, you know, people are rightfully worried about that. So how does the government... How does the government persuade people to do these things? We're always talking about nudge and behavioural science. Well, I want to talk about Father Christmas. Yes. So we talked about Christmas last week. I didn't think we'd talk about it again. But, <laughs> of course, in the last week, Tesco has brought out the most astonishing ad. It's not really going very well for them. Let's have a look what their latest numbers are. It's on YouTube. Yeah. And um, as of this morning, it's been seen coming up for 200,000 times. It's got 2,000 thumbs ups. Right. But it's got 23,000 thumbs downs. Dear me. And comments are disabled. That's not good. That means that nobody's going to be having having it put in front of them because the way YouTube works is if you've got that many thumbs down, it doesn't get sort of posted very often. I think people are actually seeking this one out for the sheer awfulness of it. Yes. So basically, I mean, it's we're kind of... We're just watching um, it now, actually. As we oh, can, is it uh, great? We're able, because we have the power of different separate platforms. This is how clever oh, we are. As I you're know. describing it, we are watching it. I, I love it. The power of the power of um, screens at yes. talk, talk radio, talk TV. So, um, I mean, it's kind of a fun ad. Basically, the message of it is nothing stopping us. Yeah. We're having Christmas. We're having a great That's Christmas. That's great. That yeah. determined Christmas spirit. It starts spirit. well, doesn't it? It starts well. Good music. It's really fun. And then we see Father Christmas struggling to enter the country. Mm. He's been a bit silly. Instead of flying in with this magical reindeer and, he, and avoiding all the Byzantine travel rules, yeah. which he could have done because he's magical, he comes in through passport control at yeah. an airport and it looks like he's going to be quarantined. Do you think uh -oh. he's a fake Santa? Maybe it's Prince Harry dressed as Santa because it's a stupid <laughs> thing he would do. Uh, well, you know, the, he's, he's forgotten about happens, the magic. Course, just before the, the magic disappears, uh, the big thing that gets flashed up is Santa may be quarantined. The, that's what it says. So right. Santa may be quarantined. So even Santa can't avoid COVID. Mm. But then, lo, he brandishes his QR code yeah, his and phone. his vaccine passport and he may enter the country. Right. Now, 
rewind a year. I know Christmas last year's a misery we'd all like to forget, but there was another ad that co-opted Father... I'm sorry to add uh, add more misery to people who were miserable, because I know some people did spend it on their own because they thought they had to, but I wasn't one of them. Christmas plans were cancelled very last minute, though, last year, so I think people will probably have quite muted memories of Christmas Mm. last year. But um, Father Christmas was co-opted into an ad last year. Do you remember... Um, the ad that shows this white bearded man being rolled on a gurney through a corridor to the soundtrack of emergency beeping and it turned out it's Santa so Santa was hospitalised in an ad for the NHS charities together no I missed that yeah, oh That's my goodness. horrendous. Yeah, it was That's horrendous. Awful. So it was really sad. Father Christmas is in hospital. Well, due, James Bond. Due to the, the solicitous tending of the nurses he recovers. And of course, the whole ad is about the commitment and the hard work of NHS. Oh, it's just surely before they get fined for not being vaccinated. Well, maybe they could do what, that one this year. They could have them all being waved away instead of being clapped. Go, cheerio. You're all out of a job now. A lot changes in a year, doesn't Isn't it? it just? A lot changes in a year. But. I thought it was interesting that two years in a row, Father Christmas has been conscripted Mm. to push certain messages about Christmas. And it doesn't, people don't like it. So that ad last year was withdrawn really quickly, which is why you won't have seen it. And um, this year, Tesco have got themselves into a right pickle. People don't like this one. It's been very divisive. Hashtag boycott Tesco has been been running quite well. That's been trending, exactly. And it made me think, you know, well, it's... Is this the first time Father Christmas has been co-opted for propaganda? So I had a look, and and it hasn't. It's not the first right. time. It's it's quite interesting. Um, you know, he was conscripted in World War Two by the U.S. government. Yeah, okay. Father Christmas went to war. This poster showing that. Um, also selling government bonds. Right. Now, what happened in Russia was interesting. Um, Father Christmas was sent into a metaphorical exile uh, when the Soviet Union was it's created. A gulag. But, yeah, but Stalin brought him back to kind of boost his own yeah. popularity. Right. Uh, Father Christmas even helped with the space mission in Russia. So mm. it's really interesting when you look back at all the different ways that Father Christmas has been used to push political yeah. messages. He has been not just threatened with self-isolation and quarantine and had to carry a COVID passport. He's been imprisoned. Mm. He's been threatened with execution. He's had to go to war yeah. and bear arms. And he's had to sell government bonds and also help a space mission. Goodness. It's amazing, isn't it? And we just think of quite him as a, a lovely, m- jolly figure yeah. who brings gifts and merriment. Quite, a, quite an interesting metaphor as well, isn't it, for this kind of government's policy based on uh, the story of a fictitious man um, who may or may not be magical. Well, he is magical, and of course he's immortal, but what's interesting this year is his immortality is immaterial. He can still find himself in intensive care Mm. or in self-isolation with COVID. It's really weird to Mm. see the way he's been co-opted. So we think of him as this lovely old chap who brings gifts. I think that the really interesting gift he's bringing us this year is you get to understand state and corporate political machinations how is he being used in propaganda what does that tell you Mm. well he's been used during the epidemic to lord the nhs to get across the idea that anyone can be brought down with covid even a magical mythical figure like him and also that the covid passport is how you have freedom and 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 it's normalizing covid passports so just looking at how he's been used this year tells us a lot Mm about political intentions but you know what also tells us a lot and i'm getting this very anecdotally from people a lot of people reporting to me that they've gone to events where there were supposedly vaccine passports required but almost nobody had to show them 
and the people who are running the event are not really interested um, people produce bits of paper you can get fake um, vaccine passports on the internet as you could imagine you can get fake anything mm. um, and an awful lot of the people that I know that are going to things many of them going in expectation of having to show something are not being asked for anything and I think that's very much the British way where you go okay yeah we'll do that and then you just don't do it well maybe and every oppressive regime is um, accompanied by a black market and yeah. a, and a counterculture of course there's going to be a black market in vaccine passports of course there will be in the same way that you can fake um a a a lateral flow test in the same way that you can you know pretend you've taken a test when you haven't all Mm. of these things loads of people know about and if the government doesn't know about it they should know about it and they probably do and don't care because it's all about how it looks I think they do care because they're showing themselves to be super, super controlling and authoritarian. I'm sure they don't like um, a black market. And I know from my own research of the behavioural scientists that they love us all to conform and mm. be the same. They do not like Do you the think idea they're sitting in Downing the Street saying, if only we could do what Austria is doing, if only we could get away with that? Because remember what Neil Ferguson said, that they looked at China and they said, nah, we'd never get away with that, though, in this country. And then he I said, but so. actually we realised we could have done yeah. We actually could have done. I don't think so. I mean, in the last week, they've leaked um, official sensitive documents called Operation Ramp Down, describing how everything is going to be wound down in the spring. Now, I had some um, inside information of my own a good while mm. ago, but no documents. Um, and that inside information was that there'd be more restrictions this winter. And then by spring, summer next year, it's all over. Mm. But let's see. I'm, I'm also suspicious of documents that are leaked mm. from the party yeah. itself. So it's hard to know what's a bluff, what's a double and bluff. And everything's leaked now. Basically, everything is leaked. I don't think I can remember the last time they announced anything in the House of Commons mm. before it was leaked to the papers. Yeah. But I think um, one thing I'm going to just uh, take from Father Christmas just to finish on this is, is the nation doesn't like this. Mm. People don't like Christmas, uh, Father Christmas carrying a QR code no. and they don't want to see him sick in ICU. So once again, state and corporate interests are not reading the room. They're not reading the fairy light bedecked room. They don't get it. No. People want the Christmas magic back and they don't want propaganda shoved down their throats. Here's a question for you. Do you think that the medical establishment in this country is now a law unto itself? And that they actually think, because a lot of doctors have got this kind of God complex anyway, you know, the way that if you've ever had any interactions with doctors in hospitals or GPs, they very much think they know best about almost everything. And sometimes they do, but not always. And it would seem to me now that they've taken this view that everybody who is not qualified to make a decision needs to be told what decision to make. And I think that's a problem. Yeah, I think that um, in a sense you could stretch this metaphor and you could say we're living under a form of medical imperialism, that we're already living in a biosecurity state. And this is why I'm so concerned about vaccine passports, Mm. because there should be a recommendation about what's best to do for your health and then you leave it. You leave it to people's choice and personal autonomy. If you don't have bodily sovereignty, you're in a very scary place indeed. Just ideas, the idea that if you don't do what you're told and get your booster, then Christmas is under threat is a form of medical imperialism. Mm. Christmas is an ancient cultural tradition. It's what we do with our families. It's not for the state to tell you that if you haven't popped your latest pill, you can't have it. Right. No, exactly right. And and they want, it would seem, to continue with this kind of hegemony uh, of medicine where only they know what the next stage will be and only they can tell you what you have to do in order to safeguard you and your family. Mm. And that's completely, I would say, alien to the thinking process of most British people and their families. Yeah. Isn't it? 
And the 2015 Montgomery case established that it's not what the doctor thinks you should know, the patient has a right to know before yeah. they make a decision. And as I have said all the way through this, I'm really worried about the impact on informed consent because if people aren't given all the information, they can't make they informed can't. consent. No. And I was telling uh, Renee, I was very disturbed to see um, uh, a leaflet that was going around in Sussex this weekend from the NHS community board in Sussex, basically mm -hmm. sent out to kids or being handed out to kids to say, if you would like to take a vaccination, there's no necess necessity for us to tell your parents unless we think you might be in danger. Do you know, I think a lot of kids will find that creepy. Mm. I think my kids would probably um, show me except they might be scared I'd like stomp down right. to a school or to right. a doctor's and complain about it. Right. Um, and I think they'd probably think it's a bit creepy. It's a little bit child, what, what's his name? The child catcher the child from catcher Chitty from, Chitty, yeah, Chitty Bang is. Bang. Well, also, what it if, doesn't example, feel very nice, well, I mean, does it? One of it? my issues with, with all of this about teenage vaccination and, and, and younger is, you know, they haven't been clear about what sorts of um, issues that health, health, that health issues that may have affected my children growing up that might cause them to be more or less badly affected by, by a vaccine. So I don't know. So imagine if one of my kids decided on his own to go and get the vaccine and then he comes home collapses because he's got some problem and I didn't know he had a vaccine. How does that work? Well, you wouldn't know, would you? No. It's It's crazy. Isn't it? There's also allergic reactions. That's what I mean. All kinds I mean, of, any I mean, number of things You can happen. get diarrhoea, fevers. Right. There's all kinds of systemic reactions. And the you child comes home well. and doesn't want to tell you that he's done it because he was somehow convinced to do it by these NHS community people. Mm. It could be a real problem, though. I, I think parents around the country will be outraged at the idea that the state thinks it can intersect itself in your relationship between you and your child mm. and their health decisions. Yeah. But if we think we've got problems with informed consent, it's about 100 times worse in Austria I was right going to say, let's talk about that. Okay, so... <sighs> they're having another lockdown in Austria, but this is a really special one. Um, it's just for the unvaccinated. They're calling it a, a schnitzel lockdown, which is just weird. That is weird. It is weird, but it's, it's an interesting name for it. Basically, there's about 2 million people in the country who are not fully vaccinated, and they are now going to be in lockdown, supposedly for 10 days, yes. but let's see how that works Except out. Except they're allowed out to go to work, allowed work. out to go to get food, allowed yeah. out to go and get a vaccine. <laughs> yes, and, funnily enough, <laughs> they can get a test or a vaccine. And allowed out, yeah, to get a test, and I think and any other medical thing. So it's not about stopping them from going out, right? Oh, no. This is not about public health. This is about punishment. Mm. The people of Austria are being put into the naughty corner. Yeah. They're not doing as they're told. And they they're seem not... to have a very low level of vaccination as well, don't they? Because I think it's something like 60% I was reading. It's 60-something percent, yeah. yeah. Um, it's not bad. No, it's not, but I mean, it's compared, not good enough. Compa comparative <laughs> to a lot of other countries... It's quite low, is what I'm saying. And so that mean, must mean one of two things. There are lots of people in Austria who don't want it. And there are lots of people in Austria who don't think it's necessary because mm. they, I don't know what their numbers are, but I don't think they've got particularly high numbers, have they? I don't know. Um, I mean, which numbers do you mean? I mean, in terms of COVID infections, deaths, etc. Well, apparently their um, COVID case rate per, per capita is quite high. Oh, is it? But um, I haven't looked at the mm. figures and details to know. You have to be careful about trusting media reporting sometimes about these issues. You know, I think, I think you really do have to look up your own information. I mean, I'll give you an example. Um, th there are naturally protests around the country at this incredibly divisive yeah. segregatory measure. The, B as the BBC report uh, said, 
The far-right Freedom Party has said it will create a group of second-class citizens. So what they're doing is putting freedom over with something that the far-right mm. preoccupies itself yes. with. They're trying to encourage this hyper-partisan approach. Right. The Mail talked about the protests and kept throughout an article referring to protesters as anti-vaxxers. Right. But these, you know, they talked about one protester saying he doesn't approve of the division in society, right. but they call him an anti-vaxxer. Yeah. And then another one said that fundamental rights should be unconditional and they called him an anti-vaxxer mm. these people are not protesting no. against vaccines right. they're protesting about a lockdown being inflicted right. on one section of society so you have to look at how the how the media report it but there are these people in the media and you'll know who i'm talking about without saying who it is who think that you should be punished for not having a vaccination and they think that's perfectly okay and yeah. that if you make the choice of not having that then you're an idiot yeah. Uh, well, I think, to be honest, people have lost their virtue mm. and they've lost their courage. Mm. Coming and from their a, common sense. And common sense. Coming from a place of fear, um, because there is naturally a fear of infection and death, which has been ramped up by an intensely sustained and coordinated propaganda campaign of fear by governments. Yeah. They now think it's right to demand that other people are subjected to medical interventions that they may or may not want. And I don't think this is a, a courageous or kind or liberal perspective. It's it's not going to end well. Governments should be thinking, what's the end point? Mm. Where do we want to end up? Right. We, we don't. The end point isn't you quickly make people comply with a rule. You get a net shift in right. vaccination uptake. That's not a healthy end no. point. Where do we really want to end up? Where, where are our eyes on the horizon? Well, surely we want to be a happy, healthy society where we have normal freedoms. Yeah. Um, where we're all getting on with our unconditional lives, unconditional freedoms, unconditional freedoms, and I, I think people's eyes are off the mm. horizon about where we want well, to do you end know up. What? It's worse than that. I fear, I fear that the government and this and the special advisors and the medical advisors don't ever want it to end. I think they quite like it. That's my worry. That they enjoy the feeling of control. They love the fact that they can say, if you don't do this, there's going to be a problem, because in the end, it's the kind of council attitude made large isn't it it's, it's the kind of the the jobs worth who says you you know you can't do that and you go why not maybe i mean John, chancellor schallenberg in austria said this was a dramatic but necessary lockdown i mean what a what an, necessary un, for what i don't know it's it feels so unconstitutional it feels so immoral yeah there's an italian philosopher called giorgio agamben and i reference his theories in my book a state of fear and he talks about what happens when you class a whole section of people as as being um immoral mm. They're not, they then don't have to be given the same moral rights. You know, it justifies putting people into concentration camps yeah. where completely different rules apply. Now, of course, the people in Austria are not in a concentration camp. They're confined to their homes. Mm. There's no barbed wire. There's no machine guns. They're but not they get suffering. fined 400 quid if they get caught out. But they get fines. It's going to impact their lives, their mental health. Let's not forget teenagers who are unvaccinated aren't allowed out to do their clubs or their sports. Mm. This is a cruel punishment. Mm. When I talked about the naughty corner, I don't want to belittle it. I think this is cruel and it's outrageous. But you can see what happens the unvaccinated are seen as deserving fewer moral yeah. rights that is a terrible direction of mm. travel for society and we should all be looking at the politicians and seeing how they react mm. um, we should be very wary about politicians that segregate society in this Absolutely. way it's not it's not going to end well I'm half German and I was thinking about maybe giving the kids and me a bit of a treat this year, returning back to um, that part of the world to go to Christmas markets. Yeah. And I thought, well, aside from the fact that I don't know what's going to happen with travel restrictions, 
I don't want to go to the mm. Christmas markets. They've introduced these 2G rules. Only the vaccinated can go in. And I can't think of anything that is less in keeping yeah. with the spirit of Christmas than keeping some people out, you know, noses pressed to the but window, the like thing. the little match this girl. You with, can't yeah, come in. This obsession, as if it stops COVID from spreading, which it doesn't, as if it stops you from getting it, which it doesn't, mm. you know, as if it somehow is the end game. And it's not, is it? Exactly, which is why it's not about public health. It's mm. about punishment. It's about compliance. They're yeah. just trying to make people have it. Now, if you have a vaccine because you can't leave your home otherwise... Have you really exercised informed consent? No, you've been coerced. Mm. And that's a slippery slope. Also, I could get run over as soon as I go out the door and then I'm dead. You know, what are they doing to protect me against that? Nothing. Sorry. You know, life sucks at times and sometimes you have to take a risk. And mm. that's, you know, how most of us live on a daily basis. But we're out of time. I've risked going all the way up to the news and being told off by the producers. Oh, no. Oh, no. We finished on a gloomy note. Next week, let's finish on a laugh. It's a challenge. It will. Well, we, can, right? we can always finish on a laugh. It's my daughter's birthday. How about that? Oh, happy birthday, happy to, birthday today. Happy to Emma. Today, yes. Happy birthday to you. Yeah. I sent her a singing message earlier on. Aww. I told her I'm not sending her. Her boyfriend sent her such an amazing bunch of flowers. I can't compete with it, so I'm not doing it. So I told her I'll see her at Christmas. Daddy, she wouldn't compete then. with the boyfriend anyway. You'll no. always have a special place there in you her go. heart. See, now you can have a laugh. All right. Uh, Laura Dodsworth, thank you very much indeed. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Now, there are many reasons uh, to laugh at some of the climate change nonsense that gets claimed. There are many reasons to weep at some of the nonsense that they come out with. But I have to say, having watched the last two weeks of events up in Glasgow, I don't think I've ever seen a bigger waste of time, money, energy uh, and indeed even ideas. Let's talk to Dr. Benny Pizer, director of Net Zero Watch, to find out what he made of it all. Benny, a very good uh, afternoon to you. Good afternoon. Now, it would be obviously ludicrous for me to suggest that uh, this conglomeration of, uh, of brains was such a big um, uh, effect on Scotland that it caused them to have an earthquake uh, in the last 24 hours. Because, uh, uh, But it just sort of strikes me as funny that they went all the way up there uh, and suddenly here's an event that they cannot stop, no matter how many times they stop driving around uh, in petrol-driven cars, no matter how many times they decide to stop burning fossil fuels, earthquakes will continue to occur. Yeah, of course. I mean, that's a natural event and uh, earthquakes will always happen and uh, nothing to do really with the climate or climate change. Although there are some climate scientists who claim that um, because of the melting uh, ice caps, uh, we see more earthquakes. So, but let's be realistic. Um, earthquake, nothing to do with climate change. It's just, you know, one of these things. We live uh, on planet Earth and natural things happen. Yeah. This is just geology. Absolutely. And was it not really a kind of the, a, a, a total aberration, this entire two-week fest of, of madness to me? Even Greta Thunberg uh, said it was a waste of time. Many of the people who were up there said it was a waste of time. They're now sort of trying to turn it into some massive event, which actually was the first time that anybody wrote down that we should be doing away with coal. Yeah, well, it was an utter failure. It was predicted that it would end in failure, and it ended in failure. Um, but it's much more than that, because for the first time, it has now become manifest that no matter what the Europeans or the Americans want, these governments, the Chinese and the Indians have the last word, and they will always have the last word, and they won't give up coal. And the whole agreement is just 
utterly meaningless. Yeah, because nothing will change, will it? I mean, and it seems to me that the only real achievement that they've made is to all agree to have another one uh, in Sharm El Sheikh same time next year, COP27. Yeah, I guess they'll enjoy it a little bit more. The weather is much nicer yeah. <laughs> in Egypt <laughs> at this time of year. But basically, the, the even the agreement, as it was agreed in Glasgow, is falling apart as we speak. Even countries like, uh, you know, governments in Australia have already said Boris Johnson is misleading the public by claiming that this agreement would be the end of coal. They said, no way, we will be using coal for decades to come. Mm. Don't mislead the public. The Indians, the Chinese won't give up coal. Most of Asia won't give up coal. So this whole idea, the Europeans might give up coal and have to pay these tremendous, ridiculous uh, prices for gas because they're also against fracking, so they don't use their own gas. So, you know, in Europe, the lights might go out. We've got the warning today, a warning in the Financial Times. They're saying if it's a cold winter, uh, we would have rolling blackouts in Europe. But this is the problem, isn't it? You know, we haven't really solved the major issue of the moment, which is the price of energy in this country, the prices that people are paying uh, to heat their homes, the prices that people are paying uh, to get gas coming into their homes so they can cook stuff. You know, that's the proper kind of emergency that the government should be addressing. And yet they're talking about this kind of airy-fairy nonsense of, oh, we must just use renewable energy. Well, how about we just get cheaper energy? Absolutely. And this is entirely self-inflicted, this problem, because we know in the US uh, gas prices are a sixth of what they are here. So they are much cheaper because they are using shale gas. We're sitting on one of the biggest shale basins in the world. We're not using it. We're not using the uh, or we are preventing new exploration in the North Sea. It's completely and utterly ridiculous. And the renewable energy isn't working. We had another uh, low wind day yesterday. So um, we had to spend more than 30 million to keep the lights on. Uh, it will be 2 billion altogether this year just to stabilize the national grid. It's, it's complete and utter And that's why the net zero agenda will fail, because people will be more concerned about keeping their homes warm than um, you know, climate change. No, of course, because also people have to get around. They have to uh, do all the things that they would always do. And I have had many of these conversations over the last two weeks, Benny, as I'm sure you have. Um, People are willing to say that they'd like the climate to be uh, protected. They'd like the environment to be cleaner. They'd like things to be done better. But they're only able to to agree to that and are willing to do it up to a point. They're not willing to pay through the nose for it. Yeah, absolutely. And the irony is that there are actually more pragmatic policies that can do both, that can uh, reduce the impact on the environment, that can reduce uh, CO2 emissions, but you have to give up the madness of renewable energy, which is costly, unreliable, which destabilizes grid. You would, I mean, in Europe, in the EU, they're beginning to realize that they've put all the eggs in the wrong basket. They are beginning to consider making natural uh, natural gas and nuclear energy green energy to yeah. classify it as clean. Now, if we were to do that, if the if Boris and his government were to do that, we would shift immediately to n- nuclear and natural gas in particular, and could really abandon these unreliable renewables, which are the core of the problem. They are making energy so expensive because they are unreliable, costly, they have to be backed up. 
So there is a pragmatic alternative on the table and it's up to the government. And let me tell you, if the government goes on with this net zero agenda, it will not survive contact with voters. No, I don't think it will. And what do you make of what Boris Johnson said last night about the Russian gas pipeline? He's kind of playing uh, fast and loose, it seems to me, with with, uh, Vladimir Putin, talking about um, peace in Ukraine, um, sort of getting involved in whatever it is that the satellite nations around the former Soviet Union uh, are doing. You know, we've seen what's going on on the border with Belarus and Poland. You know, there's no no question that Vladimir Putin feels like he is in control of the gas supply into Europe. Well, again, it's entirely predictable, and it was predicted that the more... Europe becomes dependent on Russian gas, the Russians will use that dominance and will use that power to pressure uh, their neighbors uh, and, and blackmail them. And that's exactly what we have. It's madness that Europe and Britain in particular is not using its own resources. So this has to stop. We have to start using our own natural gas resource instead of becoming increasingly dependent on an erratic and 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 crazy uh, Russian government that obviously is using its dominance mm. in, in energy to bully its neighbors. Right. And what's the situation in the North Sea currently, um, Benny, as far as the amount of oil and gas that still can be exploited there, if possible? I'm told that it's very expensive still uh, as, a, as, a po- as a point of contact. It's hard to get it out of there. Um, uh, what, what's going to happen to all of that? Well, it's obviously there are still uh, a lot of platforms, so there is still natural gas coming out. But the government faces a real problem here. Um, the, um, there is an application for new exploration in the North Sea for oil and gas, and the government in the run-up to COP said, no way, we're not uh, sending out a signal of uh, approving another uh, drill in the North Sea, another exploration. So now, as the energy prices go up and people are struggling to heat their homes, will the government remain uh, stubborn? in face of green opposition, or will they do the pragmatic and realistic thing and getting this stuff out of the ground? So that's a big challenge for the government. And all I would say is the longer the wait and the higher the energy prices, the bigger the political price they will have to pay. Right. And why is it that in their conversations about sort of uh, the, the climate, the environment, the earth, that nobody in these summits ever mentions the rising population and the fact that the population is probably more of a problem, actually, um, than the emissions, because the more people that there are on the planet, clearly the more demand there is for energy. Yeah, it's not the number of people. It's the, the, the developing world is developing, and more and more millions, tens of millions of Chinese and Indians who used to be poor and many other Asian countries yeah. are now expecting to live normal, comfortable lives. Yeah. So they want fridges, they want washing machines, they want computers, they want cars. Mm. And of course, that you cannot deny that. Mm. And the West is trying to essentially tell them, look, we became wealthy on the back of cheap energy, but you shouldn't use that energy anymore. Right. It's not going to work. These hundreds of millions of people in the developing and emerging world want decent lifestyles, and that requires cheap and abundant and affordable energy. Yeah. 
It is ridiculous. I mean, Ray says this on um, uh, on a tweet, which is interesting. Just think if we were fracking and this earthquake occurred, the climate scientists would be having cl- orgasmic claims of we're killing the planet, which they would do, of course. But whenever there is a natural phenomenon, like the volcano down in uh, the, uh, the Canary Islands, which has spewed poisonous toxins into the sky uh, to the tune of about a million times whatever anybody's doing in London, um, the earthquakes that go on, you know, these threats of, uh, of how the Maldives are going to be underwater... None of it ever comes true. Well, let's put it this way. Given the realization that most of the developing world and and, and China and India are not going to decarbonize anytime soon in the next 2030, they're not. And they're, they're making that pretty clear now. I think the time has come for the government to realize that it's much better to use all the money we're wasting on wind turbines mm. To actually make our cities more resilient so that when there is flooding and there will always be flooding or when there is a heat wave or when a coastal erosion happens we actually prepare and adapt to whatever happens in the coming decades it's just futile to think that wasting tens of billions of pounds on wind turbines will change the climate right. it will not stop or change anything we need to be prepared for realism and that means being more realistic about climate change going to happen one way or another no one knows exactly how much uh, the the temperatures will go up or whether they will remain we have no idea but making our cities more resilient to flooding to heat waves to cold snaps to storms is a good thing in any way. Yes, exactly. And what about all these dire warnings that we had, you know, from Boris Johnson, we're a minute to midnight. Um, Dale Vince was on the show yesterday with me saying we've only got 10 years to save the planet. You know, they keep saying these things as if they think anyone is listening or believing them, because I think most people, having watched what went on in Glasgow, are just laughing at them now. Yeah. Well, we published a paper yesterday showing that the same language, you know, it's one minute to midnight, it's the last chance, yeah. time is running out, and so on. The same language has been used for the last 13 years. It's always the last chance. It's always timing's running out. We, it's always we only have 10 years. And because this language never changes, people become cynical about it and look through this kind of scaremongering, and which is one of the reasons why most people can't stomach it anymore. Yeah. So what do you think is going to be the Boris Johnson kind of method? Because what he seems to do, in my view, is that whenever he gets the idea that some people are not very happy about something or it's not very popular, he just sort of stops talking about it. And I wonder whether he'll just sort of drift off and pretend like this never happened. Well, it won't happen until, as I said, uh, the Conservative Party makes contact with voters. Mm. Currently, they have a large majority. There is no pressure on them to change anything. But if people struggle to pay their energy bills and if people struggle to keep their homes warm, then they will punish any government, whether it's Labour or Conservative, they will punish them. And once that happens, change will come. 
Yes, I'm very much looking forward to that day. Benny, thank you very much indeed. As ever, Dr. Benny Pizer, Director of Net Zero Watch, again, giving a very commonsensical view of what went on at COP26 in Glasgow. Because let's face it, all of this catastrophizing, all of these people who go on and on and on about how we're in the last chance saloon, we've been there for a long time on the climate front, uh, we can't do any more uh, burning of fossil fuels, fuels or else the world will end. We've got to stop it all before 10 years is up. We've got to stop selling diesel cars because it's going to ruin the planet. It's all rubbish at the end of the day um, because nothing is likely to change the carbon footprint of the planet. I got a thing on my bank account the other day saying, would you like us to uh, tell you what your carbon footprint is? And they gave me this ludicrous number of kilograms or tons or something that I'm apparently using. And how do they know that? Because they've just looked at how much money I spend. So there's no way of checking that, is there? They don't know where I'm going. They don't know what I'm doing. They don't know who I'm giving the money to. They don't know how much secret money I might be spending. It's all a crock of nonsense. I might tell you what it is when I come out of this break, um, because it really was quite amusing to me. And I'm determined to see if I can, in fact, increase my carbon footprint uh, through the banking system. Let's see what they have to say. This is Talk Radio. This is Talk Radio across the UK, online, on DAB+, and on the Talk Radio app. The Independent Republic of Mike Gray on Talk Radio. Right, so here we go, right? Uh, this is what my bank says. Our ambition is to be a leading bank in addressing the climate crisis. We're working to make our operations climate positive by 2025. I don't even know what that means. But how about this, right? Apparently, this is my carbon footprint for October. 480 kilograms of CO2. Any ideas? No. 480 kilograms of CO2. How have they uh, managed to come up with that figure? Nobody knows. But what they've told me is it's the same as charging 61,440 smartphones. <laughs> really? So I guess, what do I do now? Spend less money? Buy more eggs? I don't know. Cheese? What am I supposed to do? Grow mushrooms? I don't know. Maybe somebody could tell me. 480 kilograms of CO2. So clearly no shortage of CO2 in my world. But there is a shortage of the day. Now, we've been doing this now for five weeks, believe it or not. Yesterday, we told you there was a shortage of blood and white shirts, amongst other things. Today, uh, we can tell you, and this is all information that we have collected uh, through the normal channels, i.e. you people have told us that there's things you can't get. Brown sugar, apparently, is in short supply. Who knew? Why are you buying brown sugar? Uh, flu jabs. A lot of people say they've turned up for flu jabs. Haven't got any. Uh, they've had to go away, come make, make another appointment. And restaurant workers. I think we kind of knew about hospitality staff. Certainly in lots of parts of the country, uh, there are lots of restaurants who need staff. And in fact, we've seen a report that says that there are now more job vacancies than ever before. So if you need a job, go and get one. If you need a, a job working in a restaurant, they could do with having you. So today's shortages are flu jabs, brown sugar, and restaurant workers. Those are the shortages of the day. Talk radio across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Hi. 
This is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. 